Hello and welcome to another episode of the Meaning of Health podcast. I am one of your hosts, Craig. And my name is Courtney. And Courtney, we've got a, another interesting uh, show this week, haven't we? What are we looking at this week? We sure do. Today, we are looking at cannabis and all of the health effects and what's happening in Australia with this particular drug. Yes. And I think it's doubly interesting just because of what's happening around the world at the moment. That's right, yeah. So, so many people are kind of legalising it at the moment um, and we kind of want to look in depth as to why that could be a good or bad thing Mm. as well as all the health stuff around it. Yeah. So, I guess we should start from the start um, and look at kind of how prevalent cannabis is, you know, and particularly Australia and worldwide, you know, how many people are using it and, and what that means. Um, and I believe you've done a bit of research on this. A little bit. So um, the AIHW or the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare kind of looked at uh, different drugs and how prevalent they are in Australia. And cannabis is the most widely used illicit drug in Australia. So it's the most common one. Um, so in comparison, cannabis, it's approximately 10 to 11% of people have tried cannabis, whereas for ecstasy and cocaine, that's around 2 to 3%. So it's okay. highly prevalent in our society at the moment. And when you're talking about that 10 or 11%, are you talking about th- those are people who've used in the last 12 months? That's right. right. Yeah, used in the last 12 months. And do you, do you have a sense of how many people might have used any time in their life? A lot more. Yeah. Um, I don't quite remember the statistic for that. Did you okay. have that? Yeah, I, th- I think it's around 35%. Yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds about re- right. report ever using it in their life and of that there's a subset of people that, you know, carried on using yeah, after they right. first tried it. <laughs> um, but in comparison worldwide, mm-hmm. um, the prevalence is actually around 3.8%. So Australia seems to have a bit of a higher rate of use. But, it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so with that, what what are some of the reasons why people should maybe be concerned about cannabis and the fact that, you know, just a bit more than one in ten people use it? Like why would it, why would it possibly be an issue and why should health authorities be aware of that? Yeah, so uh, as far as I'm aware, there's, there's a couple of issues uh, with people using cannabis at the moment. Um, and... It's uh, there's a couple of things. Mainly for me, the biggest one is we can't really standard standardize it, so we have no idea how much people are taking and when and how and why and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, for example, if you smoke cannabis, you're actually uh, possibly increasing your risk of things like lung cancer. Uh, so, we really need that information before I feel like we could even legalize it for personal use and that kind of thing. So, there's lots of different things that we need to consider when talking about cannabis and introducing it into our society. Okay. Um, So you you mentioned there that potential health issues that may be associated with cannabis. Now, I guess my issue with uh, a lot of the uh, claims that people make about cannabis and and its effects are that it hasn't been particularly well researched. Yeah. Uh, And I think one of the reasons for that is that it is currently illegal. So, Correct. Yeah, it's very yeah. hard to research something if uh, you can't get it on a normal market. Yeah, <laughs> and obviously that has that is slowly changing. Um, so, you know, basically we've seen recent changes in Australia. I think in 2016 
uh, cannabis was made uh, legal or regulated under certain conditions, and I think those mostly relate to medical use and also research looking into the health effects of cannabis. Yeah, so I know that in Australia recently, I think it was in 2016, we've just introduced uh, new rules to say that we can use marijuana cannabis for medical purposes. That's right. Um, which means that we might actually be able to get some really good research out of that and we can have a look truly at what's happening in terms of short and long-term outcomes yeah. in people that have it. And I think that's led to – so basically I think what they legalised was the cultivation of cannabis for those purposes and then they also – I think each state ha is still in charge of how that's administrated. So how someone in Western Australia might get prescribed cannabis might be different to how someone in New South Wales or Victoria might. Um, but largely across Australia now, doctors do have the authority to prescribe it for certain conditions. Mm. Um, are you aware of the sorts of um, illnesses that – you know, cannabis could be prescribed for at the moment? Yeah, so I, I have looked at a couple. So uh, there's a lot of um, mental health disorders uh, and there's also the one that I was interested in was multiple sclerosis um, and chronic pain. So both of those things, apparently cannabis can help manage that chronic pain uh, and for multiple sclerosis it can help with uh the spasms that you get. So it can control that a little bit apparently. Um and therefore taking that drug might help improve their quality of life. Yeah. And I think there's also some pretty, there's been some pretty um, well-publicised stories of people who suffer from seizures and uh, epilepsy mm. who, when they've been prescribed, I think in particular cannabis oil, they've gone from having multiple seizures a day down to having almost none, you know, pretty much straight away. Uh, so I think those are the sorts of stories that have driven this conversation the most when that when people see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I tried to have a look for some research that kind of showed those stories and uh, it was super interesting. I was going through Google Scholar and all of the other libraries and getting up research with cannabis and epilepsy and all that kind of stuff and what I found was that a lot of these studies are very much supported by pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies. So a lot of the authors are, are sponsored by these companies. So their research looks promising, but it's also being paid for by the people who would sell it. So I don't yeah. know. I don't know. It's yeah, interesting. I, I think that is an issue with this type of research because there are uh, multinational companies who currently do sell cannabis in places like uh, the USA and Canada, uh, and some of them are massive companies listed on stock exchanges, you know, and they operate across the world. Mm. And so it, it is that murky area where pharmaceuticals kind of have an impact on research. Um, and, yeah, as researchers we're often warned about the, the risks of that. Um, so as researchers we try and, you know, maintain our independence um, but it's not to say that people don't get funding from mm. those sorts of companies and it's also not to say that that research isn't worthwhile, but, you know, people just need to be aware of that when they're reading reading the findings. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't mean that all the research is terrible. Um, it's definitely necessary and needed and, of course, you need money behind it as well. So yeah. it's definitely something to just be aware of mm -hmm. Uh as uh, the results might only show the things that that company 
wants to show rather than all of the other possible harmful things or, or something sure. like that. So just yeah. touching on some of those those potential harms, um, we kind of briefly touched on it before. Yeah. I, th- I think in the literature there's reference to things like depression and uh, in some cases schizophrenia. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned um, cardiovascular issues or uh, airway issues that could be associated with smoking cannabis as opposed to taking it in other ways. What other ways can people take cannabis just out of interest? Well, this is not something I'm super familiar with, but I believe you can smoke it, you can eat it. Uh, is there anything else? There's one yeah. more way, right? I think I think you can also vaporise it. Ah, uh, so, yes, So of people course. will vaporise cannabis oil and, um, yeah, and I think that's similar to how people vaporise nicotine liquid and whatnot now. Mm, yeah, okay. So there's a couple of different ways of getting it into your system, um, but there's also a couple of different forms as well. So you've got the herbal cannabis, which is your dried leaves and flowers. Um, you've got the resin, which is literally the resin from the plant, and then you've got the oil as well. So the, I think the cannabis oil is the most concentrated form. Yeah. Um, and they all contain something called THC. And THC is delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol, yep. uh, and that is your psychoactive component within cannabis. Yeah, so that's what makes you feel high from cannabis. Yeah, uh, and then what's there's another really important component to cannabis as well. There is. Yes. Do you know what that is? It's CBD, isn't it? CBD. But I don't know what that stands for. Yeah. So it's cannabidiol. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, which is shortened to CBD. So you have THC and CBD. And CBD counteracts a lot of the effects of THC. So THC has been known to make people feel a bit paranoid and delusional, you know, in high doses. CBD kind of calms people down and um, kind of counteracts that quite a bit. It's an anti-anxiolytic, I think they call it. Right. Um, And I think one of the issues with uh, modern cannabis is that the strains uh, have much higher levels of THC than in, you know, past times. Um, and the THC to CBD ratio is much higher in favour of THC than it used to be. So a lot of the research that's been done is trialling strains of cannabis that have higher levels of CBD to counteract the THC. Yeah, that's what I read it as well, so I read about that ratio. And one of the things that I found super interesting was uh, the synthetic cannabis that has apparently just started coming around, um, and essentially that contains only THC. That's, I read that there wasn't much CBD in there at all it's, and that was causing a lot more harmful effects. Yeah, so th- those um, synthetic cannabinoids have been around for a little while, yeah. like a, f- a few years, possibly a decade or so. Um, a lot of them actually came, d- were developed and came out of New Zealand originally uh, and they probably still do. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're essentially a variation on THC. So mm, they okay. be, originally they were legal purely because the law didn't know that that chemical existed because someone had tweaked the molecules in THC uh, to make it a slightly different compound that did pretty much the same thing. Uh, and because it's a fairly new kind of psychoactive substance, we, we do see a lot of presentations to EDs and the like with overdose, um, potentially like really elevated heart rates and psychotic episodes and, you know, people... Yeah, yeah, I read that some of the side effects of that synthetic cannabis was things like anxiety episodes, psychosis, aggressive behaviour, strokes, seizures, yep. um, and apparently even death uh, mm. is what I read. Yeah, so. some people have been reported to, to overdose and die. Mm. So, 
Yeah, so it's, that's def- definitely concerning, and I guess that's one of the one of the big talking points in this debate is is the legal status of drugs like this, uh, and what are the pros and cons, you know, for legalising it, against legalising it. Um, yeah, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think some of the the pros of legalising cannabis is it's more about your choice. So you have a choice to to take this substance or not. Um, it's the same. Most people equate it to alcohol, so we have a choice to drink it. It's up to us to make that decision. Um, and because it is quite highly pre- prevalent already, um, by legalising it, you won't have as many crimes and things like that. Um, so there's definitely some pros as well as the economic part of it as well. So if you start introducing this new substance, like sales will just go through the roof uh, so you can suddenly start taxing it and things like that so there'll be more money um, for countries who do legalise it. Um, and just quickly, what are some of the countries that you're aware of that have legalised it so far? I, I'm aware of Canada. Uh, there's a couple of US states. Yeah. Um, I also read Uruguay as well. Yeah, so Uruguay's had it legal for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so they're the ones I'm aware of. Yep, yeah. and uh, also Holland. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, of people course. will be familiar with Amsterdam and the coffee shops, um, and that's been going on for a long time. Um, but yeah, it is interesting, and it's actually more and more states across the USA are, are introducing it. When we're talking about legalizing, we've got to make a distinction between legalizing it for medicinal use, uh, which has been happening for a lot longer, and legalizing it for recreational use, which is re- reasonably new. Um, I think it, possibly in the USA it started happening for recreational use in around 2014, 2013, 2014. I think Colorado and Washington State might have been the first two. Yeah, that's what I read as well. Yeah, and now we've got states like Oregon and California and, and others that have also um, legalised it for recreational use, whereas California it's been legal for medicinal use for a long time. So it could be prescribed by doctors and people would get a little card saying that they were a cannabis um, medical cannabis user. Uh, yeah, very interesting. Uh, and attitudes towards cannabis um, legalisation in Australia have changed as well. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, more and more people are kind of becoming pro-legalisation for marijuana. Yeah, and I think the last figures that I saw from the Institute of Health and Welfare here in Australia was that around 85% of people supported it for being oh, used for medical purposes. Yep. And just over a third of the population currently support it for being legal for recreational use as well. Yeah, okay. Um, That's super interesting. It is interesting given that, um, so around 10% of people use it, but a much bigger number are actually in support of it being legal for use recreationally. Yeah, and I think that's quite interesting as well because the people, I personally feel like the people who are already using it, even though it's illegal, they will continue to use it no matter what. Right. Um, but I don't think that people who are not currently using it but support the legalisation of it would then start as well. So I, I think there's a little bit of research basically saying by legalising this drug it won't actually increase the prevalence as well. So... Uh, that's some really interesting stats from the AHW. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the big things that people are really worried about with cannabis is that a lot of the like, more robust research that has been done has found that the age that you start using it has a big impact on what the outcomes are and whether you're at greater risk of having things like depression and 
um, you know, psychotic illnesses. Um, and so I think that's the, the, you know, in America I know that's been one of the big stumbling blocks with the states that have legalised it is that it's been marketed in, in a way and packaged in a way to make it look like uh, food, like common food products like sweets and biscuits and that sort of thing. And so they had a lot of uh, young people overdosing because they thought it was just like eating candy uh, and they'd end up in the emergency room after ingesting a huge quantity of THC essentially. Um, and the other thing that the, the states that have legalised it are really keen to keep a track of is how many young people start using cannabis, you know, before the age of 18 uh, because that could be an indicator of how many people might end up with a problem later in life. Um, and I think that's where a lot of this debate is is in the public health messages that come out of legalising something like this. We know that a lot of people get incarcerated around the world purely just for possession, possessing cannabis and, and using it um, and no other reason, like that often cannabis smokers don't end up committing violent crimes and, and that sort of thing. Like As far uh, as I'm aware, they're pretty chill. Yeah, <laughs> that's my impression as well. Yeah. Whereas obviously other drugs, you know, like cocaine and methamphetamine, it, there is an association with violent behaviour for people who use those drugs. Um, so it really is people who are users of cannabis often get criminalised just because they're using an illegal drug rather than for any other social reason or um, violence or any of that sort of thing. Yeah, so by legalising it, there could be some real positive effects on our criminal system as well. So it would mm-hmm. have lower uh, rates of criminalisation and things like that, which overall put Australia in a better light, I guess, as well. Um, So that's really interesting. Uh, I think the one thing that I really liked reading about was the whole adolescence uh, side of it. So I was kind of looking into some research uh, comparing adolescents to adults and what some of the research, not all of it, and remember this research is still pretty sketchy in some parts, but some of the research within adolescence suggested that if the earlier you started using cannabis, um, the more likely you were to have brain structure differences, um, more likely to almost lose intelligence, so your IQ would drop over uh, 10, 15 years, uh, and you'd also have memory problems and and things like that as well as mental health issues. So I found that really interesting to read about, but, Mm. again, it's 50-50 as as to whether this is true or not. Yeah, and I think you'd probably find similar findings for what I would say were comparable drugs like alcohol if young if someone, an adolescent, started drinking at a young age, you'd probably, I'm sure there's research out there that suggests the same thing, you know, cognitive impairment and brain structure changes. You know, Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then the combination of both just, oh, so much. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that is another issue with cannabis and, and researching cannabis is that it's rarely used in, in isolation, isn't it? It's often used in conjunction with things like alcohol or tobacco or you know, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a lot of researchers kind of struggled to get rid of those confounding factors like smoking and alcohol because it is just so common for one person to start one thing and then have a go at everything else as well. So that's kind of a big problem within our research at the moment. Yeah. And the other things that I came across when I was researching for this episode um, was that Cannabis tends to be used by some sections of the community more than others. And so your risk of, uh, well, your likelihood of using cannabis is much higher if you're from a rural or remote area in Australia compared to people in the city. 
uh, often three times the rate. Um, Why do you think that is? I'm not entirely sure, but uh, the other statistic that might explain that further is that Indigenous people also use it far higher rates and they tend to be in those rural and remote areas in greater numbers um, yeah, okay. than in the city. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it often is used by certain sections of the community more. And I know that LGBTIQ people are much more likely to report using cannabis as well. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting and it is, I guess those things are all relevant when we're talking about whether it should be legalised or not um, because it does affect different parts of the population differently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is worth considering. Um, yeah, so I don't know what your knowledge is on the current regime and how people who have a medical need for cannabis are able to get hold of it. Have you done any research into that? I, I've done a little bit. So I know that in terms of for Western Australia, we're kind of lagging behind a little bit on that. So I think we've got one centre where you can actually go um, and there are doctors there that can prescribe uh, medical marijuana use for you. Um, but that's about all I know at the moment. I couldn't find too much okay. about it. Yeah, I had, a, I had a quick look. There's a place, there's a, I won't sort of mention the name, but there is a clinic in Subiaco um, that I, I had a look in to see what you had to go through in order to get a prescription. And basically you need to go and have a consultation and then that costs $200. And then there's other costs for making an application to get a prescription for cannabis, which you have to fill out a lot of questions to see if you meet the criteria, if you've got a, a particular illness that is currently covered by the legislation. Um, and basically there's a number of illnesses that are covered by the legislation, um, but pretty much if you can make a case that there's, there's evidence that it may be effective for the illness you have, in the medical literature, so if it's been commented on in a journal article or there's something that might suggest it's effective, then you can make an application and, you know, your chances of success are quite quite high. Uh, and that can take around a week and sometimes more for more complicated applications, depending on what your reasons are. Uh, and they, they the website that I looked at suggests that typical, uh, typical treatment costs for non-epilepsy treatment is around $350 a month. And the reason, oh, that's expensive. <laughs> yeah, so the reason for that is that cannabis is not part of the PBS schedule yet. Um, and for those who don't know what that is, it's the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. Yep, and basically they uh, subsidise some money off of uh, many of the drugs that are common within Australia. Uh, so, for example, uh, the pill, the contraceptive pill, uh, money will be taken off of that and you pay less and the government pays a portion of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's different levels of PBS coverage depending on whether you you have a healthcare card or, or not as well, isn't there? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, at the moment I, th I think that's one of the issues and some of the comments that I saw about this clinic uh, online, people providing their feedback, suggested that you'd be uh, much better off going and buying your drugs from your local drug dealer right. than okay. through the clinic. Well, that, a that's cheaper. a positive note. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, but I think, I think one of the main things is if you go through the, the medical part of it, there would have to be some sort of standardisation of the drug, I would feel. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to prescribe it. So you might be able to get not necessarily a better form of the drug but a more consistent form of the drug. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And I have actually done a bit of research looking at uh, places in the United States where cannabis is now freely available for recreational purposes just to see 
what they offer and how well controlled that is in terms of the strength of the product. And a lot of them actually will have a description about the, the type of plant. So there's two main uh, strains, there's indica and sativa, and they both have a slightly different effect on the body and the, and the brain. Um, and also the THC percentage. So there are some strains that you know could be up into the high 20s in terms of percentage of, of the whole plant, um, and then the CBD percentage as well. And so based on that, you can choose kind of how strong the cannabis that you buy is. And people who's, who've been smoking for a long time probably have a much higher tolerance and so you can probably handle the higher THC content cannabis, whereas people who maybe aren't, you know, less experienced, that, you know... They you can might, start with the baby one. <laughs> yeah, you might go for a weaker one. Uh, and that's, I think... That's probably one of the pros of legalising it is that people can make those choices because when you think about um, going and grabbing a drink from the bottle shop, you know, you're not going to give someone a bottle of whiskey if they've never had a drink before. You're going to probably suggest if they do that they get some sort of lower alcohol beverage. Yeah, so you can basically put a label on the thing and uh, it means that people can make a choice as to what they want to do. It's the same as in a very broad way. It's the same as food labels. Like you look at the food labels, you can see what's in it and you can make a choice as to whether you actually want that or not. So, yeah, that that is definitely a pro of legalisation is that you can break it down and people can make that choice. Yeah. And I think one of the other pros of of legalisation is that at the moment people go and purchase cannabis in countries where it's illegal on the the black market from anyone, you know, and you don't know where they're going. Uh, a local drug dealer on the street, who, who knows? And it might not even be cannabis that you're buying. But. Could, yeah, it could just be some other substance and laced with something or you, you just don't know. Um, but in places where it is legal now, there is a, an awareness of who is buying cannabis and and the age of that demographic, um, you know, what their socioeconomic status might be. And so that provides an opportunity for prevention um, strategies. So um, whether it's te- uh, giving people some sort of feedback on how to use cannabis more safely um, and recognising when they might have a problem with it, um, it's much easier to know where those people are and who they are if the industry is regulated and you know where they're purchasing it and efforts to you know, make contact with that group can be made. Whereas right now I think the, the best place of trying to contact cannabis users is probably in the the police lockup (laughs) and the hospital ed department uh, or probably the prisons Uh, and by that stage i would argue it's too late yeah because they've already yeah they're already already in trouble yeah they're already Um, in so yeah so it's, it's not about preventing people from using it it's about providing information on you know the possible risks associated with it um they're going to know what the benefits of using it are because uh, that's why they're getting it in the first place. You know, they want, to, they want to have the effects of being under the influence of cannabis. Um, but I think we have to have a bit of a sensible discussion about the realities. You know, people are using it even though it's illegal. And so how do we make the best out of that situation? Um, just as how do we make the best out of the fact people smoke tobacco, you know, even though they know that ultimately it's likely to kill them? Yeah, and I think so far we've kind of mostly talked about the pros of, of legalisation. Uh, there's there's also some negatives, of course. Mm. Uh, there's two that come to mind for me and I read that 
one in every 11 people who use cannabis will become dependent. Uh, So by legalising that, we might possibly increase the dependence uh, that we see in our population and therefore we need to have strategies uh, ready to go for these people uh, so we can help them. So that's kind of one negative. The other one that I read which I found super interesting was that in people who were tested for drugs in traffic accidents, the second most common drug was cannabis. This is something that we can't really test for in terms of short term when we're looking at drug testing in in traffic areas. So a lot of the testing for drugs, it will kind of be like a long-term, have you ever had it in the last six months because it's in your hair or something like that, whereas we can't see the short-term effects of it, we can't test for that, and if we legalise it, suddenly we might have all these people who are on a high driving creating more traffic accidents. So for me that was like a really interesting big point for the, the negative side of legalising it. Yeah, and I, and I think that there is... Uh, sort of contradictory, co- contradictory evidence about, particularly about the the traffic uh, issue, um, because people under the influence of cannabis often are found to drive at far lower speeds because their reactions are so impaired um, compared to people who've been drinking alcohol, for example, who, who may be more likely to speed. Um, and it's it's kind of a really complicated area, and and one of the reasons is that, like you say, we don't have a great way of measuring. Uh, level of cannabis impairment um, because at the moment you could do a breath test for alcohol and you can get a, a pretty good estimate of how drunk someone is. Whereas with cannabis, uh, at the moment there's just a, a yes or a no test and that yes or no test is fairly unreliable because someone may have used cannabis, you know, three or four days ago. It's They're essentially not under the influence of it and haven't been for at least a couple of days and they'll give you a positive test. And so people, you know, who might have used it and then gone driving, you know, two days later, uh, kind of getting a a ticket or losing their licence. Mind you, just on that, um, I also read that apparently it doesn't just affect you for 24 hours. It can actually affect your impairment for up to a month, apparently. Um, I read that. It was one sentence and I haven't seen much mention of that anywhere else, but I have read that it it might be more than what you're actually feeling and you can see those effects longer than than you'd think. Um, But having said that, um, in terms of driving and things like that, I feel like most people can make that judgment as to whether they are impaired or not. It's it's the same as like alcohol and things like that. Um, You're obviously under under the influence and if you think you're driving, you've got friends there that will be like, hey, no, don't do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely – these are all really tricky issues that there's no easy solution or answer to. And, and as I think, you know, as time goes on, it looks like we're heading in a direction in Australia, you know, in particular where research into these issues is going to be easier moving forward than – Which is great because then we can actually figure out what the long-term outcomes are for people who, who do take this. Um, we can see the benefits and the harms and if there are harms then we can do something about that as well. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, every negative or, you know, con for uh, legalising cannabis that you've just mentioned, there is a pro, you know, kind of in response to that. Uh, and it's usually around, you know, we'll be better informed. 
Yeah, know, absolutely. Be better informed. More information would allow us to like really make a decision as yeah. to whether this should be legalised or not. Um, originally, before I started researching this, I wasn't too keen on the legalisation of marijuana, but like for me personally, what I've read uh, and what I've learnt over the past couple of days has almost changed my mind. Um, and to be honest, I feel like it should be someone's choice. Yeah. Just like alcohol. And I, I think that the reasons for legalisation also, for and against legalisation, also span beyond just health. Um, obviously we talked about the justice system. And I think just from a point of view of like government resources, um, there are a lot of resources invested in preventing people from acquiring cannabis and preventing them from distributing it and that sort of thing. And I think a lot of those resources could be diverted into treating people who we know are going to take it regardless of what the police say and what the government says. They're going to take it anyway. How do we get the messages through to those people that when, even when the time comes that they really do have a problem and they need assistance, this is where they go to seek that assistance and, and this, the assistance that they get will actually help them because I think a lot of people probably don't even know, they're not aware of what help there is or how effective it is. But we do know from previous research that treatment, and it's usually counselling, you know, behavioural treatment um, for cannabis. There's not really any pharmacotherapy that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, I haven't read anything about yeah. pharmaco for that. So, um, But, yeah, it has been effective for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, the sooner people are aware of that, the better. Um, and the easier we make that to access, the better. Um, because I just think it's a bit futile to pretend that we can somehow control people's behaviour to the point where we can control what they do in terms of drug taking. Yeah, it seems a bit silly to think that we would be able to do that. It, it's, it's everyone's choice. They, they can make a choice and lots yeah. of people are choosing to take marijuana. So we should be able to kind of give them the information that they need to really make that choice properly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that the argument for a lot of people in the... Uh, against legalisation camp is mostly a moral one rather than a scientific one. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, they just feel like cannabis is currently illegal so it's wrong or, you know. And back to the beginning of time, um, it took a long time for cannabis to be banned. You know, it was legal for a long, long time and it's only in relatively recent times that it was prohibited. So. And there's also been many things that are have been illegal that are now not, which is a great thing. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of social injustices there as well that have taken a long time to kind of overcome, but you get there in the end. And mm. I think, yeah, cannabis is a, maybe not as big of an impact, but smaller, um, but still it's a person's choice. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the impact on things like the justice system and... and the social welfare system and the, even education outcomes, uh, you know, for people getting caught up in, you know, using cannabis and then you know, getting locked up and punished and whatever. It has big flow-on effects. And let's not forget that uh, one. I think one of the figures you just quoted there before was around 10% of people that use cannabis have, end up being dependent on it. Now, being dependent on it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to die or... or they're very unlikely to die from it. Um, you're dependent, you're going to die. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, you, when you think of drug addiction or drug dependence, you know, you get images of people with no teeth and all that sort of stuff. But just because somebody's dependent on cannabis doesn't mean that they're not functional and they can't hold down a job and they can't live a, a normal life. 
Um, you know, we in uh, sort of drug and alcohol research, we, we have all these definitions, um, you know, and in I think it's the DSM-5 now we're up to in the um, in psychiatry. We psychology. Have, psychology, sorry. Um, yeah, I think psychiatrists use it quite a bit, but it is actually the it, yeah, American Psychological is, yeah, Association. Thing. Yeah, um, yeah. so we have all these, defini- these textbook definitions for dependence, but that doesn't, that's not really an indicator of whether someone's, you know, life has been negatively affected. It's just the fact that they're using it at this level and they meet these criteria. Um, so we say, therefore, they're dependent. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I'd say that cannabis is probably one of the less harmful illicit drugs out there. Um, and, you know, there are there are cases of people who do have really bad reactions to it and those are the probably the things that get focused on the most when people are sort of advocating for it being um, kept illegal. And I think that kind of leads on to one thing that we haven't talked about that actually has, I think, probably the most research around it and that is the link between uh, marijuana and schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that has been studied a lot because suddenly there was this huge peak in people that had schizophrenia when maybe it would never have been presented to them. Um, and that was seemed to be related to cannabis use. But what they kind of found was happening was that when people were taking cannabis, it kind of allowed a, a genetic variation to appear and therefore that person could then develop schizophrenia. So it was actually more of like a genetic thing and cannabis use became a risk factor for it. So there's definitely a a portion of people that maybe shouldn't use cannabis or things like that because it does increase their risk of schizophrenia and possibly, unsure yet, but possibly other mental health issues as well. Right. Yeah. And so those are people who have a, a predisposition to that, we're given the right stimulus, so maybe right. developing that disease. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about it previously in a previous episode about breast cancer. There's a genetic mutation which put some people at high risk of developing breast cancer. Yeah, so, it happens for a surprising amount of conditions. Yeah, <laughs> and epigenetics is another area totally. So I'd say we'll probably do an episode on that in the future. Oh, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's an interesting area. <laughs> but yeah, that that is interesting because I think a lot of the uh, discussion around cannabis and the pros and cons of legalising it and the risks, etc., do focus on that particular illness, schizophrenia, because it is such a severe mental illness um, and it does have such a negative impact on people who, who get it. And there's also really no treatment for it either. It is more of just like trying to manage the hallucinations and things like that. It's, yeah. it's difficult to manage. Yeah, so, yeah, people can, you know, can be prescribed some pretty strong drugs which do limit their you know, quality of life uh, in order to sort of try and keep a lid on hallucinations and, and those sort of things. But, yeah, it is it is difficult. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people get confused when they say cannabis causes these problems, like yeah, schizophrenia. It, it doesn't cause the problems per se, but it is yeah. a, it's a factor that could influence rather than causing. Yeah, and I, and I think that's important as well when looking at things like depression and anxiety and, you know, often people who do smoke, report smoking cannabis, they do have those mental illnesses in higher rates than people who don't smoke cannabis. And I think people get confused between cause and effect or, you know, we refer to it in, as an association. Now, there's nothing, to, no real concrete evidence yet that can tell us that cannabis causes depression or causes anxiety or any of these other mental illnesses or whether 
those people have depression and or anxiety and they use cannabis because it makes them feel better. Um, and so it's really the chicken and the egg. And I think that's probably where the research needs to focus, you know, moving forward. There's also a, another part to this as well is for things like depression and anxiety, we don't really know how people get that. Like we, we feel it's to do with some sort of previous trauma. That's that's what a lot of psychology is based on is that previous trauma in childhood, that kind of thing. Um, but we don't know what comes first, whether people are going to smoke cannabis or, or have depression beforehand, uh, things like that. It's really difficult to study mental health, mm. uh, particularly although we have the DSM-5, uh, it's not... It's always changing and those definitions are always changing as well. So it's, it's really difficult to study all of these kind of areas. Yeah. And, it, yeah, it's, I, think, I think it's one of the reasons I find health research so interesting. Um, but it's also one of the things that's infuriating about health research is that people can't tell you. They can't give you a definitive answer. Yes, this causes that. This tends to happen to people a lot more who have that problem. Um, or who use that drug, but I can't tell you that it causes it. And yeah, so, and the only reason, the only way that we would be able to figure out if it causes it is if we get like a really clean randomised controlled trial, but that can be difficult to do in humans because there's lots of ethics associated with that. So yeah. if you're trying out a new drug or something like that, you have to compare it to a gold standard. If it doesn't work out, then you have to immediately stop it. There's so much ethics behind it, which is a good thing but can also be bad for research. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think that's probably one of the most exciting things about the change in cannabis policy recently is that we get to test some of these hypotheses out about the, the effect that cannabis might have on people who have seizures and these debilitating um, illnesses, uh, you know, people who are undergoing chemotherapy, for example, often get prescribed cannabis to help with their appetite and the pain that um, chemotherapy causes. And also um, the pallet palliative care as well, like a lot of the long-term outcomes might not affect them. So it yeah. might be a really good way of increasing quality of life. Yeah, I know that there, there have been a limited number of studies that have compared opioid um, prescri uh, prescribed drugs with cannabis for pain management in chronic pain patients. Um, yeah, so far there hasn't been any real conclusive evidence one way or the other, whether which which is better. But there's probably some people who react better to cannabis than than opioids and and vice versa. So it would be interesting to see, you know, if it does get adopted as a mainstream pain management and palliative care treatment you know, in the future. Chronic pain is also a whole other issue in itself as well. There's a lot of controversy behind chronic pain. So um, there, there's a couple of schools of thought that I won't get into right now about that, but pain management can be really difficult for people with chronic pain because it seems to always get worse as time goes on, no matter what drugs you're taking. Yeah. So there's the, also that issue for, for chronic pain specifically. I think any, I mean, any kind of medical or biomedical intervention like, you know, medication is going to uh, wear off a bit over time. So the more someone takes something, the less that they feel from that, from that, you know, as their body gets used to it. And I think, yeah, it's a bit of a spiral. It can get out of control, which is why a lot of, people prescribed opioids end up dependent on them and then have a long-term problem. Which is why if we legalise things like cannabis, we can actually look into that spiral and we can figure out what to do about it as well. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's definitely an interesting conversation. Um, so we're probably nearing the end 
Courtney, did you have anything else that you wanted to, to cover before we wrapped up? I think that's about it, Craig. I don't think there's much else that I want to talk about in terms of this topic. Okay. Um, as usual, we have our Twitter and email details. Uh, so you can email us at meaningofhealth at outlook.com uh, and also at our Twitter handle, which is at healthmeanswhat. Um, so feel free to get in touch with us at either of those places. Uh, and if you have any feedback on today's episode or any other episodes that you've heard, uh, or if you have any suggestions about episodes you'd like to hear us do in the future. Um, and we look forward to speaking to you again when we come back. And thank you for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks, Courtney. <laughs> thank you, Craig. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the School of Population and Global Health and the Education Enhancement Unit at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with music by Craig Cumming.